Hello and welcome to Discord, a podcast to explore the intersection between music and theatre. I'm Adam Lenson, and each episode I will be trying to figure out the conundrum that is musical theatre. Welcome to episode 20. So first of all, welcome back to Discord. It has been a little while since we made one of these and I'm overjoyed to be back bringing you new episodes. The absence, as you might imagine, indicates some other activities in my life. I have been directing shows, I've been developing shows. I set up a concert series for artist-driven new British musical theatre called Signal. And then I built a production company for artist-driven new British musical theatre called, imaginatively, Adam Lenson Productions. You can find more information about that at adamlensonproductions.com. I also feel like I might have stopped making episodes because I kind of been on an odyssey with this podcast, learning a lot of different things about musical theatre and the way it's perceived or stigmatised or made and spoken about. And I constructed a lot of theories and discussed the form with a lot of different people. And I guess a mixture of being busy and perhaps thinking the things I'd been thinking about and wondering about at that time had been talked out. I found that I'd stopped making episodes. But I have emerged in 2019 with a renewed sense of wanting to talk to people in public about musical theatre and wanting to figure more stuff out about where the musical is in Britain and about where the musical is in the world in 2019 and beyond. So welcome back and I'm delighted that a new British musical came along to welcome us out of hiatus and into 2019. But home is much more than a house by the sea More than all of these places by far If home is wherever my heart wants to be Then home is wherever you The Curious Case of Benjamin Button premiered at London's Southwark Playhouse in May 2019 and was written by Jethro Compton and Darren Clarke. It's based on F. Scott Fitzgerald's short story about a man who is born old and then grows younger. The story was recently made more famous by a film starring Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett, but this musical is based on the original short story and transposes that narrative from America to Cornwall and takes place across recognisable events of the 20th century. It really was an exquisite new British musical. I saw it twice and was absolutely overwhelmed by it both times. It was funny and heartbreaking, beautifully constructed. It was very specific, but also general in the themes it covered. Time, family, mortality, and of being small against the backdrop of large events. 
I was captivated by it and immediately interested in the fact that while Darren Clark, who wrote the music and lyrics, has written many musicals before and is a key member of the new British musical theatre community, Jethro Compton had never written a musical before. Yet there was something so assured, intricate and interwoven about the piece and both of their work on it. And the production, which Jethro directed, which showcased a cast of five extraordinarily talented actor musicians, was so beautifully integrated. I immediately knew I wanted to speak to them. And on the 8th of June, just before their final show, I sat down with them in the office at Southwark Playhouse and did just that. I start out by saying that I've always had a theory that musicals are excellent at telling stories about time and memory in particular, because music acts as a sort of metaphysical glue between past, present and future and has such an evocative power and such an ability to move us back and forward in time. Benjamin Button is so clearly about time, so I ask what they make of that. Darren immediately passes the buck straight to Jethro. It was your idea. Do you want to start? Um... Yeah, but it wasn't my idea for any of the reasons he said. So, no, you know, no. I'm a very non-philosophical person. I'm a, I'm a very sort of pragmatic person. So I don't tend to think about any of that kind of stuff. Like For me, it's just about if I like a story and if a story, if there's something in a story that interests me. You know, I never made a musical, so I really didn't know what would make a good musical and what wouldn't. The thing for me was about about ma- making sure it was taking place in a world where music existed. That was the most important thing for me. And so I think I'm probably not in a good position to talk about this idea of what makes a good musical and doesn't because I don't have a clue. <laughs> but, but like, it seems like you had a, a certain amount of instinct for the fact that this story ha- had music in it. I think, yeah, it, because it, it's, there's something magical about it. And I think knowing that actually through song you could, you could develop that much further and you can go sort of delve further into that, that side of it, it it's... Um, it felt like it always had to be a musical. From the moment I read the short story, I thought, this has got to be, this is, this is it. This has to be a musical. And I don't know why. It just, that's, I, I think most of what I do is just going on my gut feeling. And if my gut says something, I just try to follow it as much as I can until Darren says I'm not allowed to anymore. Yeah. So, opposite to Jethro, I am, I am all about the, the philosophy. I'm incredibly unpragmatic, if that's a word. So the first thing that excited me about it was that it was about time, um, and and I I went straight to Wikipedia and I started like looking into the philosophy of time and things like that. But going back to what your your idea about um, why musicals are particularly good at memory and time is partly I think because you can recall so easily in a musical by just having it like a few notes of a theme that you've had like at the beginning recall those three notes in the middle recall those three notes at the end and and immediately the audience is taken back to all of the things that happened at the same time that those those uh, musical phrases were playing previously in the show and I think that's probably what's really um, one of the things about that metaphysical glue is that it just it jumps right into your head and to, and right into your head and your heart and grabs it really really quickly faster I think than dialogue can do um, at a sort of similar speed to a visual um, you know recall like a moment at the start like the moment at the start show our show starts and finishes with the same image and by having that image I think 
you know you are recalled to the whole journey that you've been on and I think musical music can do the similar thing um, and I, yeah I think that's probably why it's partly it's partly useful for musicals lend themselves very well to time and memory I'm completely in agreement with you so I'm already getting from their dynamic that this is a good collaboration and they seem to genuinely like and respect one another I comment on the fact that despite coming from different disciplines and despite coming from different angles of approach to the same story that they seem to have found a great harmony in making the show together I think that comes just because the thing we care about is actually ultimately the same thing. Mm. We care about telling a story. And I think if you cared about your music sounding great, and I cared about the whatever my job is, I don't know. Um, I don't know what you No, what what do I do here? Uh, If I only cared about my shit and you only cared about your shit, then there would be a a problem. Mm. And I think actually neither of us are precious about our own thing being being better than anything else we're just fighting together for the same thing which is trying to tell the story in the best possible way yeah and the only conflict we've ever had is where we disagree what that best possible way is yeah and they're they're rare yeah and then it's usually um there was a really really great quote from um sondheim in one of his collaborations where he said in a collaboration between two people whoever is most passionate wins Whoever argues the most, whoever won't give up, wins. And I think that's what ha- happened mm. in our disagreement. It was whoever was just like, whoever just kept on going. The other person was like, okay, okay, like we'll do it that way. Um, because you clearly care so much about this. But, and that will come across. But they really weren't that many. They weren't very many. I've never me. collaborated with anybody as an author before in this way. I've commissioned people to write stuff. I have never been a co-writer on something and uh, it's always terrified me, and it terrified me in this, and and uh, but it's been amazing. Mm. Yeah, it's been I wouldn't, amazing. I won't do it again, but it's been. No, it's been never it's been do fabulous. it again. Never do it again. But it's been great. And I think it's inspiring to hear writers say that they cared more about the show that they were both writing than their individual work on the show, because in the end, that's collaboration. Uh, I've said recently that I think a musical is about taking two separate metals and fusing them together under heat to make a completely new alloy that is sort of indivisible if you've done it correctly and here's an example of two people who were happy to fuse their various disciplines in order to make a musical that feels integrated rather than about music and words and scenes it feels like it's about all of them and that all of them serve the story. For me, the you know, writing is a very lonely thing. And normally when I go into that writing process, I'm locked away normally in an attic in Cornwall, like Benjamin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> on brand always. And, uh, and, uh, and I, sit, I generally, I, I tend to write in my parents' attic with a little window out to the sea and it's lovely. And I just sort of don't function as a human until until it's finished. I, I, and I tend to write very, very quickly and I spend all day just sort of strapped to a machine writing and it's lonely and you don't know if what you're doing is good and that process was the same here but except at the end of the day when I'm in that point of going what am I doing what is the route out of this I've written myself somewhere I don't know how to get back from it I would call Darren he'd say send it over I'll have a read he 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 basically worked as a as a dramaturg throughout the book writing process um 
particularly I mean at one existed in in a in mm. not in the form it almost where it is now but we've we have pulled it apart and put it to get back together mm. but particularly with that two where I really didn't have a clue where I was going with it and was able to to speak to you sort of daily mm. and get yeah you know get the confidence to to, to, to know that actually what I was doing wasn't terrible or to go to, or to get the confirmation that what I was doing was actually terrible <laughs> yeah and then I think so one of the things about this collaboration which I think has been really good partly why it's been really good is because we both write very fast we both do we both work very very quickly and we um, and so one of us wasn't ever sort of waiting for the other one to sort of catch up um, and I think that's probably key. I think like you can write a great musical if you both write slowly, but I think it must be difficult if one of you is very slow and one of you is very fast, or at least, if not difficult, then very frustrating um, for, for one or both of the, the parties. But I think we've kind of both at the same, a similar speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I really, you know, I'm thinking about what are the negatives, what were the downsides to it, and I really can't think of any. We even like mm. eating dirty chicken together mm. on our writing yeah. breaks, you know. We used to both, you know, we both eat the same thing for breakfast. Yeah. We both um, we both eat filthy chicken and feel immediately horrible afterwards. And regret it while we um, try and drudge through something in the afternoon. Yeah, but by yeah. Th like the key thing, I think, was definitely always that we were interested in the story. We were interested in the story for different reasons. Jethro's was um, uh, approach was um, he was he was interested by the idea of home and what that means and I was interested by the idea of time and what that means and I think both of those things come across in the show and actually they sort of because of they're such massive massive themes that kind of weld together anyway um, it was nice for me to be approaching it from that angle and for Jethro to be approaching it from that angle because he was thinking of things that I wasn't thinking of and I was thinking of things that he wasn't mm. thinking of um, which hopefully means that when an audience sees it they're going to hear two things that, that maybe they've not they've not thought of at all and rather than just being browbeaten with one particular theme you've got a bit more going on and, and then a sort of a synergy between the two. I've noticed examples in musical theatre of high-level playwrights being paired with high-level songwriters and being asked to collaborate and fuse their processes together to form a musical. And often, if the playwright isn't used to collaborating and if the songwriter isn't used to collaborating, then what happens is ego gets in the way and they don't create a very good musical. They kind of create scenes and songs that don't work together. And I find it interesting that these two collaborators, while individually they have artistic identities and egos, that when working together, they seem to be able to put them aside in order to collaborate and find a way of caring more about the project than themselves. I also think of musicals as three-dimensional objects, which can contain many different types of information and combine them into the final product so it's almost like the ideas of home and time that came with each collaborator through a lack of ego were able to fuse in this piece and you can very much see those two themes playing out in opposition to one another and there's kind of competing tensions in the story that wouldn't exist 
if the piece hadn't been built through collaboration. And I think musical theatre is one of the few things that can thematically and informationally and collaboratively create something three-dimensional and that's greater than the sum of its parts. Ego is a big part of um, probably the hardest thing to manage if you have a really big one. I would say I've got an ego, like I have literally, I've named it. Darren has an incredible blog about his experiences in musical theatre and during the writing of it, he has named his ego Jasper Mountbatten III. Um, and Jethro definitely has an ego. How dare you! <laughs> but but I think our our egos will will be put aside in service of the story. Um, and I, I I guess it it can be difficult for someone who's gotten to a certain level of notoriety or success and know that what they do is really good and what works. Um, and then to put it into a new context and just assume that it's going to work. I, I don't blame those people for thinking that it will. Like, why would why would they not think that it will? Everything they've done to that point has been a brilliant success. But it's not the same. I then asked Darren and Jethro if they had to cut stuff that they were really pleased with. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah there's a couple of great songs that, we don't, that don't exist in the show. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. <laughs> we'll put them as bonus ones we'll on, the, bonus, uh, on the album. Bonus tracks. Yeah. I think. You know, I think for me going into it, I had, I'd never written a musical, and I think that that knowledge, that sort of fear that I had of it, I'd always wanted to make a musical and always been terrified that I wouldn't, that I didn't know what I was doing and I wouldn't be able to do it. And so, as a writer going into it, I knew right from the beginning. Well, I don't really know what I'm doing. I know how to write a play. I don't really know how to write a musical, and and therefore having like having you on board just meant that that I would just defer to your experience as a musical theatre person. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, you are wise, tell me, tell me why this is shit, and you would tell me, and it, it was great. And it's genuinely nice to hear that Jethro was nervous and insecure about the demands of writing a musical and uncertain of what it would take, because writing musicals is really, really hard and takes care and skill sets that aren't necessarily apparent in other forms. And the fact that he came into this knowing he would need to learn, knowing he would need to take information from someone like Darren about how to make a musical and how to respond to the demands of the form is really great to hear. Because there are a ton of people in the UK who don't believe that the form requires much, don't believe that there is any special skill required to make one, and just barge on in. Next, I asked them about the fact that I had heard that the piece was actually programmed at theatres before it had been written, and in fact, before Darren and Jethro had met. It was, it was programmed. Yeah, you're right. It was because we had the venues outside of London um, oh, yeah, with yeah. firm pencils on them. We had Arts Council funding applications in. We had this space assigned to us. And... Um, and that was before Darren and I started working together. So, because I've been working on to, on, the, on this for about a year and a half longer, mm. but before Darren came on board, um, and so I was really trying to get this thing off the ground. And I've always found that actually, the best way to get something off the ground is to get it happening. You know, if if there hadn't been that that impetus to that that drive, knowing that there is a, a penciled slot in London where we're meant to open in mm. when to be open, May, May. I am out no, of it. Yes. Yeah. So knowing that we were going to open in May in London, and we're a year away from that, just 
puts that pressure on of saying, well, this show is actually going to happen. And if you don't put that pressure on yourself, and if you say, well, I haven't got the right collaborator, and it's not really working out, and we don't really have a musical, we just got an act one of a book with some pretty mediocre lyrics. And <laughs> I would have just kept on sort of hanging around, and, mm. and, and there wouldn't have been that drive to actually to, to force me to, 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 to find you and to say, right, we're going to do this, and it's going to happen in May next year. Mm. And I love that because there's a kind of hazy sense that musicals take five to ten years to make and get on and refine. And while that can be true, I think this shows that it doesn't have to be true, that shows come in different shapes and sizes and chronologies, and that a show can be brought from idea through collaboration to being made within a year. I'm also very interested in the idea of making something happen by saying you will, by dreaming something into existence, because I think otherwise new musicals aren't going to be made if we keep waiting for the conditions to be perfect for them, because the conditions are never going to be perfect when the art form isn't developed enough. So sometimes we need to assert that the art form is going to be developed, build it, and then they will come. And that's exactly what happened in this case. Something I notice in British musical theatre is a thing I've termed learned helplessness, which is writers who are writing shows but continually seeing them never put on and never being given opportunities despite their obvious talent and skill and enthusiasm. What I've noticed is that leads to a kind of sadness and nervousness and stress in really talented writers because they truly have not been allowed to believe that their work will ever be on. So there's a sense that the longer you spend on this career, on this art form, that the sort of the more time you're contributing to something which can't really pay you back, either artistically or financially. And that kind of nervousness can spread and can kind of infect others. And what I love here is Jethro's ignorance to that nervousness and just saying, yeah, I'll do you know, that. Well, obviously, I'm very grateful. I don't know if I would call it... Hey, it doesn't come across like ignorance because ignorance has this negative connotation to it. I think it comes across as there's an innocence as opposed to an ignorance. Like, it's someone who doesn't know things necessarily. But I know that I know But you know, know that you don't know yeah. and that you're absolutely willing to learn. And musical theatre, despite the regular derision that the form gets and despite the way in which it is often stigmatised, is an extremely hard form to master. And I feel going into it thinking it can be mastered or that you have mastered it already is never a good way to make a musical. It always seems like a good idea to go in knowing the complexity and the range and the challenge of the form and the many things it can do at any given moment and the different types of information that can be woven and moved around is important. And going in with a sense of humbleness is important. I go on to ask them about adapting a short story by a very well-regarded author and a short story that became quite a well-known film and how sometimes adapting things that have already had well-regarded outputs is not always easy or always a particularly good idea and that there are those that say that stories have perfect forms for telling them and that if something's reached its perfect output that maybe it doesn't need adapting to a different medium. Uh, so I asked them to reflect on adapting F. Scott Fitzgerald's story. I was probably less 
less concerned about about this one partly because I could I could feel that it was like that it would make a good musical because of the themes and everything in, involved in it but also sorry Brad um, I didn't particularly enjoy the film and I didn't particularly enjoy the book and so I thought Brad didn't write the book though Brad did he not write the book he may I think he had I think he produced it I think he was involved in right some okay way. yeah I thought he was mm, I thought he was yeah. but 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 I thought both of them were um, I thought they were both flawed. You know, there was that, the, you know, the whole uh, Oscar Hammerstein saying to Stephen Sondheim, write a thing that is uh, an adaptation of something that you think is flawed. Um, and I think this is one of, the, one of those things. Like, I think the concept is fascinating. And I think the execution of that concept has always been flawed, in my own opinion. Until um, now. Till now. No. Um, Def- I think I've done a lot of adaptation of shorts and of novels and I think I always prefer taking a short story that you're not in love with mm. that you're in love with something about it there's an idea in there that you think that's fascinating but actually being in love with your source material is almost the worst thing I, I was working on some adaptations of uh, Neil Gaiman's work and some of his short stories and knowing Neil Gaiman and, 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 and his short stories are so perfect and thinking this is I've never agreed with when people say there is one medium for things, but when I read his short stories, I thought these are short stories, and actually, as a writer, to try and turn those into a play, I found really complicated. Also, because sort of being in awe of that, in, in love with that source material, and in awe of the writer, yeah. whereas actually, F. Scott Fitzgerald is, is well dead. He's so dead. Totally dead. He's so dead. And so... And, and not being in love with that material and thinking, okay, there's something in this, but actually it's really dated. I mean, he, we, we've turned it into this sort of sweeping Celtic romance and it, in that he gets bored of his wife because she gets fat and old and he yeah. moves on without her. And yeah. you think that's, that's really not an inspiring story to take away from. Well, I, th- I think there's some, the, one of the key things there is that if you're not in love with something, if you're in love with something, then you're afraid of it. Because I think love and fear sort of go hand in hand. Because you're afraid of losing whatever you have. Mm. If you're not in love with a thing, then you're not afraid. And therefore you can write what you want without fear. And I think, and with confidence. And I think confidence is always going to be a key thing when it comes to writing, writing decent material. If you're afraid of what you're writing then you're second-guessing yourself and all of your choices that you're making and you're not following your instinct, which is probably probably going to be right, um, but you're too afraid to do it because you love it so much you don't want to mess it up. What um, did you say about... Com- that was so... No, love and fear, that was so good. That should be on the poster on the wall. That's like a, that's one of those <laughs> shit things you go past With a cat Facebook. hanging off like a brush. <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> oh, well, um, well, it's recorded for yeah. all the time. And I would say... If you absolutely love something in its current form, whether that's a novel or a film, why would you make that into a musical? Because if you love something, then what's to be gained from morphing it into a different form? In some ways, I think you have to believe that there's something that can be added to an existing story in order to turn it into a musical. You have to believe that music will help to communicate something that is absent in it currently. And thus, you have to believe that what you're adapting is in some way deficient, in some way missing something that you can add. And I think it's refreshing to hear two writers say that there was something missing from previous versions of this story, of this character, and that by writing a musical, they were able to add. 
and take their own interests and put them into the framework of this story and in so doing build something entirely new that feels an intrinsic need to be a musical. I think I think the short stories issue is that it's very unemotional, it doesn't make you care about anything. Yeah. You don't care about Benjamin, you don't care about Hildegard, the, the woman he falls in love with. You don't, I, I personally, I never cared. Mm. No, no, neither did I. Well, I think the thing that's interesting about it, and actually something that Jethro has kept from the book, is the tone of like going, this happened, this happened. This happened and this happened. It's very matter of fact. It's very matter of fact. And whereas in that version, because of because of what the things that were actually happening, were also um, sort of unemotional. That matter of fact delivery meant the thing kind of falls a bit. But if the things that are happening are emotional and they are following a story, then that matter of fact delivery actually serves to heighten the um, the the power of. Of those things. And I think it, it stops it ever tipping over in what is a very melodramatic story. That yeah. matter of fact delivery stops it ever tipping over into melodrama. Mm. And I say, because musicals are made up of various different types of information musical information, lyrical information, visual information, choreographic information that they are very good at activating different parts of the brain and moving back and forth between different modes of expression. And thus the form is very good at juxtaposing the matter-of-fact and the heightened and melodramatic. And so musicals don't need to be homogenous, but in fact benefit from being an arrangement of unequal things. I often notice that one of the main reasons that people say that they don't like musicals is because of them feeling overly emotional, of telling you what to feel too often. But Benjamin Button is unashamedly emotional, so I asked Darren and Jethro if they considered how much emotion should go into the piece. I mean, I'm a, an outwardly very, very unemotional person. I get told off about it all the time from Darren and from my girlfriend. Yeah. Um, and from, <laughs> yeah, most people. You know, I, I really struggle with showing emotion. I don't, I, in a classically British sort of way, I don't, I don't think it's helpful. I don't appreciate it when other people do it in front of me. Um, I'd rather if they're going to cry, they cry like a good British person. They go into their bedroom and do it alone. <laughs> um, but Darren, Darren's a much more emotional person. I don't think he cries all the time. It, you can't stop him. No, but, but I think what's interesting <laughs> is during rehearsals, yeah. I wept uncontrollably most of the time yeah. in this rehearsal process. <laughs> and and um, and I did in the writing process. I can only think of one other thing that I've written where I cried while I was typing. There's a lot of the stuff in Act Two. I just sat there weeping, writing it, and. And then I would sit and Darren would play, play, play a song or even just a refrain on the piano. And I'd just start weeping. And, and so I think there's possibly something to do with that. And also as a, as a director, I'm always so afraid of, um, you know, of I think when I, when I started writing stuff and making stuff, a lot of pe- my sort of peers were making stuff that felt it was trying to sort of be painful and gritty and sort of like to... to Sort of, sh- sort of share that anger and emotion with the world, and I really rebelled against that. I don't like that. I don't like going and seeing a play where people yell at each other about domestic stuff. I'd rather that they've got guns and they're like, you know, mm-hmm. they're cowboys. So I think there's a, a part of that as a director. I'm always afraid of anything slipping over into, uh, with all due respect, that that sort of EastEnders thing. Whenever I start saying this is, this is, this feels like a couple in a flat arguing about something. And there is there are scenes in this play where people are 
basically doing that. They're, they're a, a, it's a very domestic scene, people in their house arguing about something. And the note that I'm always giving as a director is please you know, take all that pain that you wanted to scream and yell at each other and just suppress it yeah. in, a, in that classically British way. Yeah, I think in, so in addition to that, I think, I think something that is unrelentingly emotional is, is something that British people in particular uh, run away from. Um, but what I think we, we do very well in, in Britain uh, is comedy and it's humour. And as long as you are being a real human being and laughing and then crying and then laughing and in the, maybe in that order, maybe laughing first and then crying, um, then you're reflecting the real human experience. We're not unrelentingly emotional. We're not unrelentingly like sad and you know desperate individuals. When people aren't like that, you can't. People don't live like that. Um, I think people live um, and experience a whole range of things, and some of those are very light, and some of those are dark. And and I think what what we try to do with this is constantly wherever there was something that was um, potentially very emotional we followed it by something funny or we pre precursed it by something funny or like really um, uh, you know uh, and use, use your head and I think while musicals are often accused of being overly emotional I think what is sometimes not said is the sheer range and colour of emotion that musicals can show if written skillfully and directed well and acted well in order to show the full range and amplitude of human experience. And that rather than just showing melodrama, I think what they're actually able to do, if we let them, is show range. I think it's also something which is... I think it helps that it's a British musical rather than an American musical mm. uh, in that it's quite self-deprecating and that it, it's very prepared to, to laugh at itself and the characters are prepared to laugh at themselves. And so those big over-the-top romantic moments that could just be cheese are also sprinkle, sprinkled with that um, sort of self-deprecating humour that, that a British audience doesn't just get doesn't choke on the cheese they get to laugh at it and know that we also know it's cheesy and therefore you get to enjoy it a bit more yeah yeah i finish by mentioning that the cast of five actor musicians all stay on stage throughout all accompany one another and play multiple roles and sometimes roles are shared between two performers there's a real sense of ensemble and a total lack of hierarchy that i found extremely moving i say that when people tend to think of big west end musicals They think of stars and leads and secondary characters and chorus and a sense of hierarchy and segregation, which completely belies the integrative power of the form. I tell Jethro and Darren that I was so moved by how democratic the piece felt and how much everyone on stage visibly cared about every element of the piece, the production and the storytelling and how that felt right for a piece of musical theatre in which every element has to come together in service of something greater. I have never worked with an ensemble like it. I've worked with amazing ensembles in the last few years uh, who care passionately, but there's something something about the perfectionism of this ensemble that is truly, and not just the ensemble, I mean, particularly the ensemble, but also everyone who's involved with it, 
Um, Darren and I are both perfectionists, and that can be problematic. The cast of perfect perfectionists, that's problematic at times. But actually what it ultimately comes down to is that everyone just cares so much. I have never had a group of people that care so much about the thing they're making. Every single one of them, but every single part of it, every single responsibility. You know, when they have to, to move a prop or move a piece of scenery, they, you know, they, they have to move something that could just be somebody coming on and, and, and doing a job, but they, 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 they do it with love and care and passion because they know that every little detail is what makes this show. And, um, and you see that and the audience sees that. And it's, you know, I think you can often say when you're involved in a show, wow, people, you know, we all really love this one, but actually this is, this is different. There's something different in this. And I don't know where that comes from. I don't know at what point that began and, and, and I don't know what point it hopefully doesn't end, but you know, it, it's, um, it's been a blessing. And if I can guess where it came from, it came from caring about telling this story using this form, integrating music and words and storytelling and an ensemble and actor musicianship where everybody in the room and everyone in the writing process seemed to care about making something bigger than themselves. And that much was so evident in watching the show and so evident in the way the audiences responded to it. Yeah, the, I mean, I agree with all of that. The, the only thing that I would say is um, the thing that I guess the most important thing I've learned over my, my brief time making shows um, is something I said in my, my blog a little bit earlier last week, I think, is one of the most important things you that you can do. You blog in there. That was, that yeah, was yeah. so smooth. Yeah, yeah. Is work with people who are kind. Work with people who are kind. And if you do that, then you'll be all right, I think. I shall not send this letter, nor shall it be read, though it brings me some comfort to write. In all of my wanderings, through all of these years, I've longed for my home every night. So what have I learned from Jethro and Darren? Firstly, that you should care more about the story and the show than you care about yourself and your own discipline. And that if you're truly going to make a musical, you have to meld your work with the work of your collaborators until it isn't your work or their work, but just the show. Second of all, that you probably shouldn't pick material to adapt that you already love and think is perfect. That you should adapt material that in some way feels deficient that feels like there's something that you need to add to it or something else that you need to find. And if you're going to adapt something, maybe recontextualizing it and bringing something of yourself and your own artistic want and interest to it is useful in the way that Darren and Jethro did to this story. Third, that musicals are really good at telling stories of time and memory and that music can work faster than dialogue in order to anchor and recall moments and story beats. Fourth, coming into the form knowing that you don't know everything is really important. Not belittling the form or undermining it, but knowing that there's a lot to know 
and a lot to learn. Also, I think what's interesting about this team is that someone came in knowing an awful lot about musicals and someone else came in knowing what they didn't know. And that collaboration seems built on a modesty and an admiration for the form above all else. Fifth, sometimes setting the date and just doing it is important. Too often I think in British musical theatre we lose confidence in what is possible if we just book a theatre and say we're going to make something. I truly believe if we build things, people will come, and in this case, they did. Finally, as Darren said, work with people who are kind. Collaborating is difficult. It requires us often to put our egos aside, meld our work, work in a way that values ensemble and mutual care. And I think doing that is easy when people are kind to one another and kind to the work they want to make. Discord is hosted and produced by me, Adam Lenson. Our co-producer is Emma Clauber. Special thanks this episode goes to Susie Safavi, Chris Smyrnios and the team at Southwark Playhouse. You can chat to us on Twitter at Discord Theatre. And if you like this episode, please do go and check out adamlensonproductions.com. There you can check out videos from our Signal concerts. And we've also just started the Amplify Fund to raise money to give writing funds to career British musical theatre artists to create artist-led new work. If you've liked the podcast and have appreciated episodes from over the years, then please do consider donating to the fund. Thanks for listening. Our new and improved theme tune is, as ever, by Luke Bateman. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>